why are they doing things that appears from the outside as why would you do that? And it hit me. Um, I, I really discovered, that's when I discovered Taylorism. Welcome to The Last, Lean Agile Strategies and Tactics podcast. Lean Agile Strategies and Tactics for your personal, professional, and corporate growth in today's constantly changing and challenging business environments. So Dwayne, I, um, I, I always have a, a challenge when talking about process improvement and sort of the value of it, because... Um, you know, companies, whatever your company is, whatever your business is, there's a core line of business, which is, you know, we make widgets or we build cars or we, you know, we make software. Um, and so all the processes that are traditionally built up, whether it's a startup or a larger organization, more corporate in nature, enterprise level, all those processes are built up to support the core, the core business. Um, and usually it's about maybe improving uh, you know, specific yields or something or batches or wh whatever it is you're producing. But when it comes to process improvement and, and joining an organization and really communicating and conveying the value of improving, improving how that company, that organization does what they do and how much that can save them for money and time, how much that can increase their effectiveness or efficiency I always find it's um, it's a challenging conversation to have, and yeah. I'm wondering what your experience is with, you know, going into organizations as an SPCT, and consulting, coaching, mentoring everyone from the C-suite down to be able to help them understand, you know, this might be your core business, but there's this thing on the side that that you're doing that's wasting money, or there's a, a, a process you have in place as part of your core business that's a choke point that's reducing your ability to produce value or make profit. And, you know, what kind of, when you when you go and, and you have these conversations with, again, C-Suite Down, consulting, coaching, mentoring these folks, what do those conversations look like and how do you convey to them the value of process improvement? Yeah, that is a long question to unpack. I'll try and be as brief as I can because you're right. I've spent years doing that in the C-suite boardrooms and the directors meetings, you know, mid-level management all along. And honestly, coming out of my previous career, former life as a software engineer for 20 years, I like to joke I'm a recovering software uh, developer. Um, I had to discover empathy. I had to find my empathy because there were points where I would look around and say, what is wrong with these people? How do they not see this? But as I started to look a little closer, I realized, wait a minute, Dwayne, you've, you've been very lucky because I, as a software engineer, as a development manager and so forth, I was fortunate enough to work for some very progressive companies that really thought differently. Um, they thought lean agile leadership before it was even a term. And as I started to discover the, the dichotomy, the, the contrast between the two, then I started to search for, okay, why are these really bright, very passionate, very caring individuals in leadership, let's say the C-suite, why are they doing things that appears from the outside as, why would you do that? And it hit me. Um, I, I really discovered, that's when I discovered Taylorism. 
Um, and if the audience isn't familiar, Frederick Winslow Taylor, he was an industrial scientist, if you will, in the early 1900s. He developed an approach to improving process flow that worked really well in a complicated environment where a lot of steps, but the same inputs will always give the same outputs. His approach was stopwatch, was to time everything and to track everything and to create a process flow improvement for each of those things. Those are MISI processes, right? Mutually exclusive, collectively exhaustive (laughs) processes. Yes. And they were, they were frankly dehumanizing. Um, in his book, scientific management, Taylor uses terms such as slovenly ignorant. Um, he's not very complimentary to the workforce and he didn't understand how the workforce didn't appreciate that. However, in that complicated environment, they were making significant gains, 70% process improvement gains in some cases. Uh, Henry Ford based his initial assembly line on a lot of Taylor's concepts and approaches. The problem is we don't live in a complicated world anymore. We live in a highly complex world. The analogy I like to use is the whole butterfly flaps its wings in Brazil and causes a thunderstorm in Kansas. That level of the same inputs give very differing outputs now. That's where a lot of business owners, leaders, C-suites are really uncomfortable with. Why? Because they're still following that same Tayloristic approach. When I coach leadership, I will often go into, you know, C-suite boardroom meetings and things like that. And at some point I will ask how many have heard of Taylor. And on occasion, I might get one person in a room that has that has experience with it, that that has heard of it, but none of them really understand the impact. And yet that's how they've been trained, the command and control approach, the work breakdown structure, all of that. And you started talking about business agility. My definition, skilled agile has a really good, but longer winded definition of business agility. Mine I think is more simple. It's in the DNA of the company that they create plans that expect to change. Not that can change, that might change, they expect them to change. And so working with leadership, helping them understand some of the the negative influences of the system they're working with, within has on them with your military background you probably will understand this but a lot of leaders have that heroic leadership mindset Uh, i like to refer back to the movie u571 with matthew mcconaughey and uh who's the other actor harvey keitel there's a scene in there where matthew mcconaughey was thrust into the captain position role on the submarine because the captain was unfortunately killed. Um, At one point, the captain, the crew asked him a question. He says, I don't know. And later on, Harvey Keitel, who was his XO, just his chief petty officer, really gives him grief about it. He says, you're the captain. You always know what to do, whether you do or not. That's where I found my empathetic point Mm. is I'm working with people highly intelligent, very passionate, very caring, want to do the right thing. They are expected to have all the answers. And boom, it hit me. I've been in those positions before and I could feel for them. And so now the conversations I have with them takes a very different tone. It's it's interesting because what you're describing, 
you know, to encapsulate it is the optimization of, you know, sequential processes, which is the model that we've used in the industrial revolution and industrial Mm -hmm. um, industry management. And that was the model that led us into the 80s and into the 90s. And into the 90s, we started facing sort of like a digital revolution, which was an increased amount of speed to processes that were, I mean, we were increasing the the, the pace of being able to execute these serialized processes, like Absolutely. Step, one, step two, step three, but the pace, the speed of that execution started to speed up. And now we've reached, and that, you know, we, we go into the knowledge economy and now the, the world that we live in today where the pace of change is so fast that the social structures that we have in organizations, that top-down work breakdown structure, functional organization that was, you know, was born out of the Industrial Revolution, optimized during, uh, you know, the rise of the Industrial and Digital Age. But today, the, the pace of change and the environment that we work in is so dynamic, is so quick, that those organizations don't have, or that structure rather, doesn't have the speed with which to adapt to the change that we face. Like, think about how quickly yeah. things change from a tweet, or um, you know, social media can can move markets literally. That's um, the butterfly flapping its wings. Exactly, and and very much that weather that weather uh, metaphor in the sense there are so many variables, especially with weather, you can have the same inputs and radically different results if you run the same model 10 different times. And so yeah. knowing that the outcome is not predictable, but rather uh, there is a sort of a cone of options that may appear, you need to have the flexibility within your organization in its decision-making process to be able to adapt and redirect energy and effort to the optimized or the best course of action, depending on how, you know, the environment is presenting you data information uh, or the facts on the ground. And the process improvement piece, it's, 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 there's a generation of leaders through school, business school, even internal cultures, especially enterprise level organizations that grew up and still live in a paradigm where the industrial management model is king. And it seems like a lot of organizations that experience challenge are coming up against the sort of the, the ceiling of where the industrial management model reaches its limits. And they need to, yeah. in order to adapt to this new high-paced, quickly dynamic changing environment, they need to radically change their paradigm. And it's such a huge lift. It's so such an uncomfortable change that it's very difficult for a lot of leaders to be able to understand and appreciate the value of that process improvement process. You're right. And I've learned there's a key difference between complicated and complex. And a key thing that we're missing is Taylorism focused on improving the process step the value add component. Let's make the person more efficient at the task they're doing. What it ignored was the delays in between. And that's 
especially in a complex system, the delays in between are what kills us. That's mm -hmm. what slows us down. And unfortunately, especially when you get to product development, it's harder to see. So I spent, as a software engineer, I spent a lot of time in the lean supply chain, lean manufacturing environment. And so again, a lot of those things just felt natural to me. Well, we focus on the delays in between, because let's be honest, lean manufacturing is light years ahead of where we are in product development from a lean perspective, lean understanding. Mm -hmm. But in product development, I think whether it's an excuse or it's a crutch or it is a true impediment, it's harder to see. You don't see raw material sitting on the warehouse floor. You don't see machines punching out. You see people sitting at desks or in Zoom calls. And now even with COVID, you don't even get to see a lot of that. And so a lot of this is invisible. And that's the key. Make the invisible visible. That's lean 101 is let's add visibility to what's going on between. And getting back to the conversation with leadership, that's one of the key things that I help them with is here's, here's the normal course of the conversation is asking them about the WIFM. What's in it for me? What are they, fears are they facing? What constraints are they dealing with? What concerns do they have? What goals, ambitions do they have? <clears throat> let's get on the same page there. And then we start to talk about, okay, what's slowing you down from getting there? That's where they tend to not have the data. All right, let's use some lean techniques to learn where the delays are. Let's map out these value streams. Let's understand where those flow problems are. Let's get the metrics in place to start to measure. And we do that incrementally. And again, in, I don't want to say a, a lower risk approach where we're taking this area or that area, not trying to boil the ocean, but trying to focus on a specific area, mm. demonstrating not only how to do it, but the types of gains we're going to see. And the gains you should expect are exponential. It's not two times, three times. It's sometimes 10, 20, 30 time improvement. And those types of improvements just shock leaders in a good way. Well, and, that's and so now they're saying what's understand, next. Right. Cause they, yeah, they've never seen it. Your example makes me think of, um, team of teams by Stanley McChrystal in that mm -hmm. book, Great he book. gives an example of, um, so for those who haven't read the book, long story short, in the early two thousands, when the U S military was in Iraq, they were facing uh, a very difficult and dynamic operating environment they were able to, from their metrics, be able to hit 10 targets in a month. That was their baseline reference. Through this optimizing process piece, um, the Taylorism approach, um, they mm -hmm. were able to increase that from 10 to 30, which is huge. That's awesome. Um, or I think actually the, the number is 10 to 20, 10 to 20. But yeah. either way, huge yeah. improvement. Double, wow, we doubled like, it. That's great. That's awesome. Um, and then, but they were still ineffective. They were still not able to get the result they were looking yeah. for on the ground. They adopt this team of teams approach, which has this, all the sort of the elements of, of process um, optimization transformation, which is decentralized decision-making, um, building a common uh, state of knowledge or awareness of knowledge. Uh, they call it a common operating picture or COP. Um, and so after they, after everyone's working on the same information and everyone knows it at the same time and they they push down the decision making to the the folks on the ground uh best educated and informed to be able to make sort of in 
in theater decisions. They were able to uh, grow their uh, operations that they could complete in one month from 10. Instead of from 10 to 20, they went from 10 to 300, which is mm-hmm. unbelievable. And when you did talk about that, I find that a lot of those leaders who have the experience in the industrialized model, they go, they scoff at it, or they think it's a one-off, or they don't, they, they have trouble connecting the dots, seeing how that applies to what they do. Because what you're describing is this exponential improvement in what it is that, whatever the organization is, doesn't, I mean, it's not, it's, it's sort of like business agnostic. It doesn't matter what the specific uh, vertical in your business is. Apply these principles, execute this effectively, and you can see these exponential growths or uh, increases in effectiveness. And what's funny is because, and this is the difference between efficiency and effectiveness, is that oftentimes a lot of this process improvement stuff seems like it's inefficient. It sounds yeah. inefficient. It looks it inefficient. It appears to be from our traditional thinking. Yeah, because those steps aren't happening quickly or or there's yeah. there's there's activity going on that there's no clear tangible result coming from. And yet, when you look at the whole, how effective you are, what results you're delivering my experience is and you tell me Dwayne I mean it, it it just it's like the proof is in the pudding and the pudding every time is is are these massive improvements and and always almost always better than the tailorist approach and that's the key for leadership to help them see those initial changes because let's be honest they're being bombarded with all these different opportunities to improve all these challenges all of these constraints they're facing again it was not very difficult for me to gain a very empathetic viewpoint when i was working with leadership and what i found was the biggest step forward was to give them confidence to give them something to grab onto there is an alternative that's the biggest problem they face most do not realize there's an alternative, that there's a different way of working. The waterfall, comp, you know, complicated system, Tayloristic type of approach was actually a step forward in the early 70s when Dr. Winston Royce published his white paper and things like that. It was a step forward from where we were, but it was still focused on a complicated underneath underpinning system. We haven't been there for quite some time. We're in a complex environment and it gets more complex every day. Like you said, the pace of change. Um, One example, I was working with Target stores back in the early 2010 range and we were looking at their infrastructure capabilities and how quickly they could stand up environments for um, their internal consumers to deploy to, you know, such as different mobile applications and things. And you have to remember, this is back when the cloud was a a puffy thing in the sky. (laughs) We found opportunities where it was taking up to 52 weeks a year to deliver an infrastructure platform for internal deployment. Well, that's not going to work in retail space, not in in the fast-paced area where we're at. And again, Target stores, wonderful people, very caring Uh, professionals, leaders that really wanted to move the company forward, but they only knew their target process, their approach. We did what we called a flash build for two days. We focused on improving the system. And what we focused on first were the delays in between. 
And so this was a relatively low risk experiment for them. But after two days of effort, we cut that 52 weeks down to four hours. And that completely blew away the leadership. They were like, that's possible. It's not only possible, it's required. It's needed. If you want to continue to grow as a company in this very complicated or complex environment, you need to keep moving forward. And they did. And that jump started Target's transformation process, if you will. And now they're considered one of the leaders in the DevOps space in the lean agile thinking space, uh, they implemented safe and they're starting to move and move beyond it because of their maturity and understanding. It's a success story. Are they perfect? Not even close, but it's a huge success story. And it all started with one little experiment, getting leadership to see there is an alternative. And so it sounds like the, the key to be able to communicate that value process improvement is a deploy empathy. What's in it for me, um, from their perspective to, um, you know, challenge, challenge the status quo and, and be aware and conscious of the fact that your audience may not understand intuitively, naturally the connections you are making about how you're going to 10 X or exponentially improve their process, Mm -hmm. but rather the proof is in the pudding and sort of like, you know, with one of those, those, uh, one of our agile principles, you know, deliver value to your customer or your client early by showing them, demonstrating it, give them the, the metrics, the measurements, the, 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 the proof that pudding that, uh, sort of puts the rubber on the road about how the value is going to, or how that improvement is going to deliver X amount of dollars in saved time or increased yields or better, uh, better output. Um, or where the case is your example of 52 weeks to four hours is, is unreal, um, with target. But if you can show and demonstrate examples like that and, and tangible results on the ground in that organization, that's, uh, that's huge. And here's the key that I have to convince leadership through action. That's not the exception. That's the norm. That's the type of process improvement that is available out there. I I mentioned John Miller before John and I did a talk at the safe summit, uh, in August of 22, and it was on learning lean flow thinking from supply chain experts such as Amazon and UPS. And I happen to have some friends that that are fairly high up in the organization. And we were talking about a number of different key things. But one thing John and I worked on was a flow efficiency number. And if you think about it, 100% flow efficiency is we have an idea to delivering to the customer and feedback to us. 100% flow efficiency means that value is never sitting still. There is no uh, resting state. It's moving from person to person, uh, value-add state to value-add state, and so forth. Now, 100% would be awesome, but it's really hard to achieve. Here's the problem. The initial number we came up through metrics, both subjective and objective, is that most companies are operating at about 15% flow efficiency, 1-5%. As we prepared for the talk, John and I discovered it's not even that. It's probably in the single digits. And that's the concern we have is that organizations are looking at that thinking that's the norm. And so when we start to show these these one-off experiments, 
we have to be careful of two things. One, Target caught fire with this and almost went too fast. You have to be careful of that. Two, there are other organizations say, great, it works over there. It's not going to work over here. Mm. So trying to get that balance of always questioning, always curious, always looking for that next opportunity. And again, back to those conversations with leadership, that's what I'm trying to convey to them. The reality is, if you're going to transform this company, you have to understand one thing. It has a start date, it has no stop date. You never stop transform. Once you start on that journey, you never get off that path. The pursuit of perfection, it's all about the journey, not the destination. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I love the quote from Womack and Jones, if we pursue perfection, we will achieve excellence.